This is Pamela Nelson with the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast, powered by Align. This is episode number 13. We are so excited to welcome Tim Spiker, the author of The Only Leaders Worth Following, as a guest for Tara and I on this podcast today. It is really an honor for us because we have both been very impacted by his work. So what makes you a trustworthy leader? I encourage you to listen today and discover the answer and how you can develop those leadership qualities. Trust me, you will not want to miss this episode. Welcome to the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast, where everyone is a leader and leadership starts with you. I'm Tara. And I'm Pamela. Thank you for listening and inviting us along on your leadership journey. We are so excited for today's podcast. We have joining us today, author, leadership advisor, our friend, Tim Spiker. Tim, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be spending this time with the two of you and with everybody listening. So thank you for having me. Before we dive in, because we are going to have a really rich conversation today, I want to just take a minute to share a little bit about Tim with our audience. Tim Spiker is an author and a leadership advisor, and he is our friend, and we are thrilled that he's joining us today. His book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, reveals and examines the data-driven, accidentally discovered, and rarely leveraged truth within leadership known as the who, not what principle, which we're going to talk about today. Since 2001, Tim has been passionately studying the impact leadership has on lives and bottom lines. Tim's passion turned into a company, The Aperio, in 2013. Since then, Tim and The Aperio have worked with leadership teams in both publicly traded and privately held companies in North America, Australia, and Asia. Their focus is to help people become, be, and stay leaders who are actually worth following. Tim's work includes delivering keynote talks, creating uniquely sticky methods of personal growth, and guiding long-term leadership development experiences. Additionally, Tim is the host of the Be Worth Following podcast, which we really encourage you to go check out. Personally, Tim is a former collegiate athlete, an engineer, and an MBA by education, and a lover of documentaries about the natural world. Tim, his wife, and their four children recently traded in their suburban Atlanta life to experience the adventure of living in Northwest Montana for a year where, yes, he just so happens to live near Pamela. (laughs) Yes. And they have become friends because of that move. Tim, a very warm welcome to the Grounding and Growing Leadership podcast. We're really excited for today's conversation. Thank you. I think the bottom line of this is you just have to move to Montana, Tara. That's the, (laughs) Uh, the only one not in Montana right now. You know, that's true. I love visiting Montana. And I mean, there has been a really strong recruitment campaign to get me to move there for a while. So So, far, unsuccessful. Okay. All right. All right. You may have some other obligations. You can talk to me again in November. Right now, May in Minnesota means I'm happy to be where we are. Okay. Okay. All right. The ice has melted. Exactly. Yes. So Tim, we're excited to talk with you today. And we know the conversation is going to go in all directions, leadership. And to start, all of our guests, we like to start by asking about your strengths. Can you share with us what your top five strengths are and which of them you're appreciating or really leveraging at the moment? Uh, So my top five are futuristic, belief, strategic, learner, and achiever. And I would say the one that, of those five, the one that is really just showing up just about every day right now 
is learner. I feel like we are learning so much as an organization. I continue to learn about how we can best serve clients and help them move forward. And that comes with a lot of repetition. And then just as a father, good heavens, I've got a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a six-year-old. And there's a lot of learning that is going on there because what works at six does not work at 13. In fact, some days I think nothing works at 13, but we are, we're learning uh, along the way there as well. So I just feel like learner is showing up every day, big and bold and strong. And I'm thankful that's in my top five because <laughs> there is so much for us to learn both personally and professionally at all times, but especially right now for me. And I love that you are someone who continually seeks learning and growing in your own life, not just because life is throwing you circumstances, but you're always looking for that opportunity to learn. And I think because you are such a learner, you have learned how to give language to what you've learned. And that is something that I so appreciate. When we sat and had coffee, when we were first able to connect here in Montana, one of the things that I shared with you and I want to share with our listeners is that you have given language to things that I work with every day that is appropriate for the business community because people show up as whole people. And so everything that is best practices in business are also best practices in life, but there just hasn't been another author that I have met who, who gives accessibility and also motivation and data, statistics and narrative around why this works. And mm. I wanted to cry reading the book. I'm like, it's here. It's all here. <laughs> this is what I do. And so thank you so much for being a learner and then giving it language. Oh, I, of course, that's so gratifying to hear. And honestly, that's a lot of what we were setting out to do. So it's especially gratifying to hear when it lands that way. I think so much of that is attributable to my background as an engineer, because in, in engineering, you take big problems, you break them down into smaller problems, you solve the smaller problems, you knit them back together and you have a big solution. I tell people all the time, I did not invent anything. I'm a reporter. Being able to take research and things that you're learning and put them together in new ways and context so that people can connect with them in different ways. It gives people an opportunity to learn and grow themselves when you can repackage it in a way that that makes sense for people. So thank you for that creativity and that gift. Absolutely. Uh, I, I probably couldn't think of it a different way. So I guess I feel like I'm taking credit for something I don't really deserve, but I'll go. Well, that's the beauty of our strengths. That's <laughs> yes. the beauty of our strengths. So Pamela and I have probably given away, I don't remember, I don't even know how many how many copies of Only Leaders Worth Following. Thank you. Uh, Thank eventually, we refer it to probably every leader we work with because we find it to be seminal in our philosophy of leadership as well. When we talk about grounded leadership, which is really aligned with the principles that that you cover in, in the book. But I would love to go back. I like origin stories. And so we would love to go back and just hear a little bit. We're leadership nerds. We know you're a leadership nerd, but how did you get Absolutely. to be a leadership nerd? And what led you down the path to even want to do the research in the first place? It's really funny because for me, there was a moment, like there was literally a moment in time prior to that moment, I probably could spell the word leadership I think I probably had some intuitive gifting in leadership, but I didn't think about it consciously very much at all. I was waiting tables in St. Louis, Missouri, in the center of the U.S. here, 
And I had a coworker who invited me to an open house for a marketing company. And that sounded interesting because I was getting ready to start grad school. Marketing was going to be part of my focus. And I was also pretty sure that there was going to be a free meal involved. And at that time in life, free meal was very important. So I thought, okay, marketing, free meal, I'm in. I was a little on the late side of getting there. And by the time I got there, the room was full except for one seat in the center of the room, which actually becomes an important part of the story. Because about three minutes into the presentation, I figured out that an open house for a marketing company was actually a recruiting meeting for a multi-level marketing organization. And I don't have anything against MLMs, but I had no interest in selling water purifiers to my family and friends, which is what they wanted me to do. And so I had a choice in that moment. And I'm like, okay, do I get out of here or do I wait for the break? And I just, because I took that seat in the middle of the room, I would have been like making a scene to get out of there. So I decided I'll stick it out. I'll grab my sandwich. I'll sneak out the back door. So I figured I still could cash in on the free meal situation. And before we got to the break, the person up front started talking about what does it mean to be an employee? And in that moment, it was like the dark cloud of doom and gloom entered the room. There was weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was awful to be an employee. And I just sat there and started thinking about that. I didn't hear another word that the presenter said. That presenter became like Charlie Brown's teacher to me. And I just sat there and thought, how come if somebody says, hey, Tim, what is it like to work for Tara? How come my answer isn't, it's the most incredible blessing in my life. I can't believe how much I'm growing. I can't believe how much we're accomplishing. I can't even believe how much it's impacting my family at home because I get a chance to follow Tara. How come that couldn't be the answer? And so that night I walked out of there. I did get the sandwich. And then I walked out and I'm walking to my car and I just started thinking, I'm just going to go interview Every leadership person that I know, I maybe had some very undeveloped thoughts at the moment, but I started calling people and they were all so gracious. And at the end of every discussion, I said the same thing. I said, who else should I talk to? And they would give me two or three names. And then I'd call some, I'd call Pamela. Hey, Pamela, you don't know me. This is Tim Spiker, but I met with Tara. I said, oh, Tara. Yeah, yeah. And nobody said no. For years, nobody said no. And so that's how I got started. That night in that room in that office complex where somebody was trying to get me to sell water purifiers to my family and friends, that launched me in the direction of my career for the last 20 plus years. I'm so thankful that I got, that I got fooled into going to that meeting. It sounds like even your strategy for how you went about with leaders would have made you really good at the multi-level marketing piece. I suppose um, there's some truth to that. <laughs> But I also find it remarkable that you started doing the research before you had a reason to do the research other than you were just curious and yeah. thought it could, and felt compelled that it could be different or that could, it could be better. So that's when you know that you're, that it's a purpose or passion, right? There's no one asking you to do it. You're just doing it. Yeah. It really was like a switch got flipped that night and I don't have any explanation for that other than, than I think it's a God thing. God just planted in me from that point forward to be passionate about leadership. And then the learner kicked in and I just wanted to learn as much as I could. So tell us a little bit then, that's how you got started with research. What led you to writing the book? And tell us a little bit about the concepts that drive the book. It wasn't that you set out to be an author. You were trying to figure out what worked in leadership, right? 
Yeah, that's true. Through all of those conversations, I did end up in a leadership consulting position much earlier in life than I should have. I thought that opportunity might come 15 years later, but somebody was willing to take a chance on me earlier on. And with our firm, FMI is the name of the organization, we would take people up to the west side of Pikes Peak in Colorado here in the U.S. for a week-long leadership development. And we put them through a number of assessments and our clients started asking, what's the magic mix? If I have a certain personality type and certain natural abilities, do I have a better chance of becoming a more exceptional leader? Or who should I be looking at when we're looking at the leaders within our organization who are going to be the people who eventually show up as our best leaders? And we had enough data at that point to run the numbers. And so Though I have a decent statistical background from my engineering education, we had a person on our team that was much better at it than I was, Vanessa Kiley. She was in the midst of working on her industrial organizational psychology degree. So she was knee deep in statistics all the time. And so she ran the numbers for us. And here's what she found in terms of the connection between personality, natural ability, and leadership performance. She found nothing. She found no connection between, yeah, there was no connection between personality, natural ability, and leadership performance. But SPS software can do some really great things, including please go find something, which is essentially what Vanessa did after she had exhausted all of her theories about where those connections might be. She just said, for the love, there's got to be some connection here somewhere. And the software came back and said, essentially, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for the connection between personality, natural ability, and leadership performance. And you actually, there is no connection there. But if you will just look at the data from your Leadership 360, you will find that you're measuring eight areas and they're not all equally important. And so I remember going into our office and asking her about the findings. And she said, we didn't find anything of where we were looking. But within our 360, there are two areas out of our eight that are accounting for way more than their fair share of influence, which meant that those two things were far more important than everything else. And that's when the idea, that's when the big thesis around the research that I've spent the rest of my career working on. And Vanessa has too, by the way. She has a leadership development organization that 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 grounds itself in this research as well. And so that's how we accidentally found this truth. We weren't looking for it, but it found us. So two of the eight, two of these eight competencies, right? Or yes. skills, abilities that we tend to see on a 360, two of them make up way more than their fair share than the other six. That's right. And I find it fascinating that most people don't know this. So this is research that you did and you've, but a lot of people make assumptions about what it means to be a really great leader. So mm -hmm. before you tell us what they are, what were your assumptions going in that would make a great leader? If you had to pick a couple of those competencies or the things that make someone effective, what were you thinking it would be? As we started down that research path, I had an idea that if you were, a, for example, if you were a really strong N on the Myers-Briggs, which is to say... I take in the forest informationally, not the individual trees. And if I had a really long time horizon, we were using the natural ability test that we were using is called the Highlands, and it would measure your time horizons. Terry, you might say to me, tell me about the future. And one person might talk about 20 years from now, and the next person might talk about lunch tomorrow. 
those are two different time horizons. And so I, I had a theory that if you were really strong in on the Myers-Briggs and you had a really long time horizon, that you would be much better at, for example, setting direction as a leader, that you would be able to cast that vision and put it out there. You'd be naturally more gifted at that. But it just turned out that there wasn't any statistical evidence to support. So that was one of my theories going in that turned out to be completely untrue. So what did you find? Here's what we found. Maybe it's helpful for me to list all eight of those things that we were measuring. And maybe as the audience is listening, maybe you can pick out which two that you think it is. But let me list them off. Here are the eight aspects of leadership that we were measuring on a 360. Initially, we ran the data with 2,000 data points. And it showed that the two that I'm about to reveal here were responsible for just under 70% of all the variability on the entire 360. Vanessa ran the data again years later with 20,000 data points. Two was enough to statistically prove it, but then she had 20,000 and it actually went up to 77%. So over three quarters of the variability on the assessment could be attributed to just two of the eight categories that I listed. And those two are inwardly sound and others focused. I remember sitting in my office one day and I was looking at a whiteboard. I was thinking about leadership and we had this data. This is three years after we got the initial data. So hopefully now I'm going to save everybody three years here. And it just landed on me in a moment, something that I had not realized when the initial data came out, is that those two things, inwardly sound and others focused, are about who you are as a person. And all of the other aspects of leadership that we were measuring were about what you do. And that's when it landed on me like a ton of bricks, that it's about who you are, not what you do. And Tim, that just makes me want to shout from the rooftops <laughs> because in, in so many different ways, what we are doing at Align is bringing forward what the research then proves. And it's difficult for people to understand that there is a wholeness that comes with us wherever we are into business, into our families, into our personal relationships, but into our vocation, that it is about who you are. We weren't setting out to find something that felt new or different. And in fact, I'll go back to what I said earlier. We didn't invent anything here. We really are just reporting on the truth. And the fact of the matter is when a leader opens her mouth or his mouth, who is delivering the message really matters, really matters a lot. We do a little exercise with our clients where we have them read an email. And this exercise is in the book as well. You read an email and you, re- you read that email as if it's coming from somebody that you deeply trust. And then you read that exact same email as if it's coming from somebody you deeply do not trust. And your engagement is radically different depending on the trustworthiness of the leader. And so those two ideas, inwardly sound and others fo- focused, those two ideas at the heart of that is how trustworthy is this leader? Ultimately, that's what those two things bring to bear. And so I've been I've started keeping track when we do this exercise across the years. And what we have seen is that when you simply change the trustworthiness of the person delivering the message, that the engagement and Gallup has done a meta study about the impact of engagement on results. So they've proven that across the globe, literally. So we know that engagement impacts results. Engagement goes up based on the trustworthiness of the leader by 253% in our experience, based on how trustworthy the leader is. We literally don't change a single word or period or comma in that email. 
and engagement goes up by 253% when it's coming from a trustworthy leader. So the bottom line of all of this is what makes us trustworthy as leaders? The answer is being inwardly sound and others focused. When I am stable and sane and I bring stability to you and the team, that inwardly sound piece matters a lot. And then when I'm showing up for you, that's why I'm coming to work. That's why I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead for the sake of others. When I bring those two things together, I become a much more trustworthy leader than if I don't have those two things. That creates amazing engagement. And that amazing engagement is what produces results. So ultimately, there's a very there's a very logical way these things work together to actually produce results. But that's why who you are matters so much. So it's interesting because the research is really strong. And I think it's tempting to hear inwardly sound, others focused, assume it's soft. And I have a real issue with soft skills because they're the hardest <laughs> to learn and the hardest to practice. There's nothing soft about them. But we hear something that feels like soft skills. And then there's a disconnect between that and business, right? Business results and what's going to actually drive. Yeah, that's nice. And when we have time, it would be great to invest in those areas. But we don't have time. We're moving fast. Stress is high. This is real business. So where does that disconnect, do you think, come from, Tim? And what do you see that helps people get over that hump to shift their mindset to understand that this is what's important about leadership? Yeah, I had a client that we had been working with for quite some time. So I was a little disappointed in the response, but I got almost verbatim what you just said. We were talking about the data and the research, and he said, essentially, this is all really great stuff once you get everything else figured out. This is the nice to have. This is the cherry on top. And I was like, no. <laughs> After I got over my own thought of I've really failed this client because we can't be this far into it and you believe this. But I said, no, that's not what the research says. The research says that these things are foundational to making everything else matter. Getting back to the who's the person delivering the message. Ultimately, I think that disconnect comes because this is not traditionally what we talk about in business school. I have an MBA. I can tell you for sure that at least in the program that I was in, and it was a pretty reputable program, we didn't talk about this. Now, we talked about some minor aspects of it. And I think more and more you see, whether you're, regardless of what your publication of choice may be, but I'll just use HBR since so many people are familiar with it. You do see quite a lot written about empathy these days, but it's just a small portion of the whole picture. Somebody who is working towards becoming more empathic, there's a whole lot more that makes us well-developed human beings than simply being empathic. And the other thing that I think is a little bit of a, whether it's a rock in my shoe or all of our collective shoes in terms of why we don't quite get this is what I see in most publications as well, which is an unwillingness to talk about the core of who the person is. If you read HPR, most all the articles that begin to point in the direction of something that is a character quality we'll stop short. Like we've got to talk about it as a skill. We can't talk about it as something deeper about who you are. And that pisses me off because I'm like, no, you're two steps from the truth, but you're unwilling to say, actually, it really comes down to who you are and how well-developed you are as a human being. And so I just think it hasn't been promoted in business circles. And I don't think we've been willing to talk about, no, this really is about who I am as a leader. It's not just about a skill that I could develop. 
Wow, so true. Tim, we want to have you break down what the meaning of inwardly sound and other focus is, like what you are saying in that your top kind of keys within the research and within your book. But before I go there, I do want to ask you a question. In regards to hiring people or choosing a company to work at, I want to find out about who you would be working for, but then also who is going to be ultimately a good fit for who you're hiring? Yeah, I think the answer for those two questions is almost identically the same, which is you've got to talk to people who have worked for that leader. So if I'm interviewing for a leadership position at an organization, the organization wants to make sure as best they can, and it's never going to be perfect. It's hard because 45 minutes doesn't exactly give you, oh, I know exactly who this person is as a human being. However, I think if you're hiring somebody for a leadership position, I'll just put it in a funny way. I think you're crazy if you don't talk to people who follow that person. We're so used to this reference idea and references are fine. And I'm, of course, if I'm interviewing for a job, I'm going to give you the people who I think love me the most and have you talk to them. But if you really want the best test of how well do I lead, what kind of leader am I, then I think you should ask to talk to two or three people that I have led. And then the questions can get really interesting, which is you can say, hey, when Tim's not at his best, what does that look like? And we all are not at our best at times, but what's the version of that? <laughs> is it is it just a little bit of impatience or is it a flamethrower? What's going on in that scenario? And you can flip it around the other way as well. And this is takes a little bit of boldness, I'll admit. But if I'm interviewing for a job in an organization and I'm going to be working for somebody there and I say, hey, could I talk with a couple of people who work for that individual. And look, if the company looks at you sideways because you want to know about what it's like to follow that leader, if that's really so offensive that they say, no, we don't do that sort of thing, then you should probably pay attention to that as well. I love that because, yes, I've coached people to ask to speak to their other followers of the leader they're going to be working with. And I think the challenging thing with leadership is that we've all had to cut our teeth on people. So we've all made mistakes with people. <laughs> yeah. Like this, sure. it, I always say leadership is the most humbling thing because we have to practice and make mistakes live with people mm, and yeah. we have impact on real people's lives. And I know I've received really hard feedback in the past. And depending on who you talk to, you might get a really different version of my leadership depending on where I was in my career and where I was in terms of being grounded. I think I want to make a statement, but I really want, would love to talk about what is the likelihood of someone can change their leadership? So that who, if it's really about who we are, Tim, in our character, I think there becomes almost this binary train of thought of they either are or aren't the who. And so can you speak to that a little bit and you know how it relates to the work that you do? Well, I think you just gave the answer, Tara. You just explained that if you caught me earlier in my career or in a spot in my life and there's a period where things weren't going well and I wasn't managing it well, and then I didn't show up as a well-grounded leader and that spills over and makes me less effective and none of the things that my team needs, you just describe yourself as having some moments of that. And we've all had those moments. And yet today... You are a more mature leader, not a perfect leader, but you're more mature now. And so you've just painted the picture that it's not binary. The fact of the matter is we can grow and develop in who we are even later in life. There are studies out there that show this. Specifically, I'm thinking of one by Theo Dawson and Cheryl Armand, who looked into 
the levels of moral reasoning and develop, which is at the very core of who we are. It was based on Lawrence Kohlberg's work at Harvard. And one of the amazing things that they found, two things. One, it was a longitudinal study, so it was over 14 years. And so some of the people that were in the study about how can you grow and develop and who you are didn't begin the study until they were actually over the age of 55. And by by measured, they grew and developed in who they were. The other thing that was fascinating about their research is that of the highest levels of moral reasoning and development, Armand and Dawson did not find anyone who reached the highest level who was under the age of 35. And so this idea of either I am or I am not, I think it's rooted in something that's logical, which is to say we understand the idea of formative years. And formative years certainly were more malleable earlier on. But that doesn't mean we can't grow later on in our careers. It might be a little bit tougher, but that doesn't mean we can't. So the thing that I like to share with people is it's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. And so I think we all have that choice in front of us. So that relates to what I wanted to ask about next, too, is so it's a matter of will or won't. Can you spot when you're working with new leaders, can you spot whether or not they have that will? And I'd love to hear if you've seen that that switch flip for them later in the journey, because you work with people over multiple years. So you'll work with groups and leaders over multiple yes. years. So you have the opportunity to see with a long view. The will in that case turns out to be connected to the word willingness. Do I see a willingness to show up and do the work? Because it's hard. It's not overnight. It takes time. It's a lot of repetition. We're talking about habituating really important character qualities within our lives, which, you know, there are rare exceptions to that. That almost always takes time. Once in a while, it happens in a moment, but usually tragedies involved in that. And we're not in the business of creating tragedy. So we'll just let that be God's territory. But most of the time it takes time, but it's really, to me, it comes back to an issue of willingness. And and I run into people who are not willing, for sure, for a variety of reasons. Maybe it goes up against how they've built their whole career for 30 years. And so I'm not willing. I've also encountered people that have just truly humbled and amazed me where I had an HR director say to me one time, I have spent the last 30 years trying to develop the what of leadership and people without addressing who, and I'm not going to do that anymore. And I was like, I was just so impressed because I was like, to be open enough to hear what that data says. Now, one of the ways that we do that is we show them in their own lives where that's been true. We hold up a mirror and say, hey, look, the people that have made the biggest impact on you, um, if I start to ask you about them, you're going to talk about who they are as human beings, even as they may have accomplished great things. The thing that made the biggest impact on you is who they are. And I ju- you just ask them and they start talking about the human being. Almost everybody leads with, they invested in me, they gave time, they gave me opportunity before I was ready for it, which to me says they're a secure leader who's okay if somebody stumbles under their watch. And there's all kinds of things related back to, to who you are. But that's it's the willingness to me, the willingness to dig in, the willingness to do the work. And now if somebody, if they're like a level four leader naturally, and they're willing to do the work, they're probably not going to become a level 10 leader. But I think we can get to six. I think we can get to maybe even we can get to seven. And so there is always that opportunity to get better if we are willing to do the work. But let's not be fooled. There is very difficult work involved in doing this. Okay, Tim, we are going to at a very high level 
in five minutes, <laughs> do an overview of Inwardly Sound and Others Focused. And so for those of you that are listening, we are going to tease this out because episode part two is going to be coming where we will unpack more of this. But from at a high level, if you can just break down Inwardly Sound and Others Focused for us, for those who are willing to learn, and we hope that that's you because you're listening to this podcast. So on Inwardly Sound, we first we talk about secure and subtle, which is essentially the opposite of being insecure. Then self-aware, principled, holistically healthy, and purposeful. And now when I say purposeful, I should clarify, it's not the corporate purpose. It's what's my purpose individually as a human being. So that's the that, those are five under Inwardly Sound. Now, by the way, these both have five and a half, not because we were, we actually didn't originally start out that way, but that's... I'll explain the half in just a moment. Let's jump over to others focused. Another focus we talk about being attentive, curious, empathic, humble, humble, and a Greek word agapon, which is to be unconditionally loving, which is a word that really scares the garbage out of a lot of people in business, but that's okay. We're more than happy to talk about stuff that scares people. And then finally, there's one that both inwardly sound and others focused share together. And that is emotionally mature. So I know there's a lot. That's a, oh my goodness, I've got to do all of these things. Look, it's like anything. If it's an elephant, you can't eat it all in one bite. And you want to be able to dig in on a lot of those things. But those are the aspects that make up inwardly sound and others focused. So Tim, we are so excited for part two. And I just want to thank you again, because we could talk to you all day. We could have part seven on this, <laughs> taking every single one of them. But this is why it's important that we want to encourage you to get the book on all the platforms to get it, The Only Leaders Worth Following by Tim Spiker. But also stay tuned for part two, where we will be unpacking not only these principles and why it matters but with this willingness, like what this can look like in your life and in your leadership and how as whole people, this matters for all of us. If you have any questions for us, or if you would like to see some more information covered from us here at the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at Tara at AlignTransform.com. Come on.